Welcome to the Lighthouse Podcast, a resource created by Lighthouse Family Retreat to strengthen families living through childhood cancer. We'll hear stories from families, share educational information on childhood cancer, and most importantly, encourage your family during this journey. Well, Christy, today we are talking about a subject that you, and I think probably others as well, um, don't think gets the time and attention that it really needs in the childhood cancer world. Yes, we are spending time this week and next talking about the off-treatment journey, which is the journey that my family is currently on. And I really wanted to spend some time, and this won't be the only time that we talk about this, but it's something that doesn't get talked about enough. There is a journey when you go off treatment. There is a medical journey, which we are going to talk about today. And next week, I'm going to talk a little bit about the emotional journey as well. Yeah. I think it's going to be really important. Um, And just based off my conversations with you on this topic, I'm just really excited for our listeners to hear this. Today, we're going to start with Dr. Karen Effinger. Uh, So Dr. Effinger is the Medical Director of Survivorship at the Aflac Cancer and Blood Disorder Center at Children's Healthcare of Atlanta, uh, our local children's hospital. And she's Assistant Professor of Pediatrics at the Emory University School of Medicine. She studied at some big name schools, Stanford, New York Medical College, and Northwestern. So a pretty impressive resume. Yes, I am excited for you all to hear from Dr. Effinger. I'm a bit biased because she's Carter's doctor, but her knowledge and passion about survivorship is what makes her one of the top in her field. Well, Dr. Effinger, thank you so much for joining us on the Lighthouse podcast today. We are super excited. I know Christy is especially excited because um, you guys have a relationship. Y'all have um, connected before, and and that'll come up, uh, I'm sure, in our time here just through what you do. Now, you are the medical director, among other things, um, medical director of the Survivor Clinic uh, and in, in the hospital that you're serving in. There's folks out there that may not understand what that means because their children's hospital doesn't have a survivor clinic. So can you maybe first start off with what is survivor clinic? Yeah, of course. Well, first of all, thank you guys for having me. I'm super excited to be here. And this is one of my favorite things to talk about. Um, So as you mentioned, some places don't have a survivor clinic. So kind of thinking about what is survivor care in general. Um, And the way I think about it is, at a point after treatment, basically the focus kind of shifts a little bit. So it doesn't mean that in survivor clinics or in survivor care, we're not thinking about the cancer or thinking about you monitoring for it. But really what we're trying to do is focus a little bit and start thinking about, okay, what kind of treatments did you have? What things could your cancer have caused and how can we prevent that and make sure that we're really helping you live along like a a healthy life. I mean, our goal really is long-term, like how can we keep you healthy? Um, So survivor clinics itself, if your um, location has a survivor clinic, what it usually is, is a dedicated team. And the focus of that team is to talk about the treatments, the long-term effects, and what we can do to monitor to make sure we're keeping people healthy. Yeah. So this is post-treatment, like they've rung the bell, they're done. Right. And so now they're engaging with you guys in the survivor clinic. Yeah. So not everybody has a bell, but yes, if you get to ring that bell, which is fantastic, um, people get to come to survivor clinic and every place again is very different. So some people really start talking about survivor care, you know, the definition that 
the National Cancer Institute uses is survivor care starts at diagnosis. But I think in pediatrics, what we really think about is that it's usually about two to five years after you finish treatment that people really start to focus on the survivor piece. Some institutions do it right away after treatment, but a lot of times families aren't quite ready at that point. So it takes a little bit. Um, but yeah, so we see the people after treatment um, when hopefully we're not worried quite as much about the cancer itself, but now we need to think about how do we keep you healthy. Right. You've been in this um, survivor space, I think, for a little bit. Like, how much have you learned about is this like new still, or are more children's hospitals adopting a program like this? Is it becoming more the norm, or is it still just really unusual to find in a children's hospital? That's a really, really great question. So I feel like when we think about cancer care in general, survivorship is like on the newer realm. So really in the early 2000s, we started to say, okay, now we're doing a great job of curing our childhood cancer. But oh my gosh, these people who were treated back in the 60s and 70s now have a lot of things that have come up like, What's causing that? What can we do with our treatments? And so that was kind of when survivor care was kind of very new in its infancy. Um, right now, we just recently did a national study and about 97% of um, institutions have some sort of survivor care, which is great. And that's been improving over the last 10 years. Um, but that doesn't mean that there's a dedicated clinic. So probably only about half of those places have a dedicated clinic. And what that looks like at every institution is different. Some places have just oncologists, some places have psychologists or endocrinologists or dentists. You know, there's all kinds of different people that can be involved depending on where you're at. Yeah. That's great. I love hearing that percentage, 97%. I wasn't expecting it to be that high. When you said you national study, I was I was expecting that number to be still a little bit lower, but 97% is, is some form, right? Obviously, maybe not as the full-blown clinic like you're in in your hospital, but, um, but still some form of, right, is great. Um, so that's really encouraging to hear that. In some places, it's just that the primary physician is starting to shift their care and thinking about late effects. And so some people might not even know that what they're getting is survivor care, but it is very encouraging that this is becoming an area that people really understand is important. So when there is a delay, which I know, so we got into survivor clinic about two and a half years after treatment. Um, during that middle time, they're still with their original team, right? In case people are wondering like what they're doing. It's not like you go away for a while and then you come back in two to three years. Right, exactly. And so, as I said, in some places, you know, at our institution, for example, we it's most common that people are about two to three years off of treatment but they're following with their general oncologist during that time. They're continuing to have regular follow-ups. And again, when because we have a dedicated team, it's just that now our focus is able to shift and we have our appointments are a little bit longer so we can really go into depth and detail and make sure that we're doing our part um, to kind of give people the information they need. When you talk about the information and like the depth of the appointments and like, what's the end goal? Like, what are you working towards with the parents, the, the children? Like, what's, what is the end goal for their survivor clinic? Where are you trying to get to with them? Yeah. So there, I think there's two 
main things. You know, the first one obviously is watching people's health, their physical health, their mental health, um, making sure that we're monitoring for possible late effects of treatment. And so what a late effect is, is either something that develops during treatment or develops afterwards because of the treatment that can cause a medical problem. Um, so that we know if we find things early, we can treat them um, and we can have better end results. So the number one goal is kind of that monitoring. But I think just as importantly, another huge pillar of survivor care is education um, and really helping our families and the patients themselves understand what, you know, what their cancer was that they had, what kind of treatment that they got, what things they can do to keep themselves healthy so that we can continue to have them live their best lives. So as a parent, I did not really know what to expect when I started Survivor Clinic. And it is very, very different than a typical clinic visit. You know, first of all, there's the emotional trauma of you're not with your team anymore and you're getting a new team, which everybody's wonderful, but there's still, you know, it's been years of attachment with the original team. So as, as you're bringing your kid into this, um, how do you prepare your child and how do you get prepared as a parent for what these appointments are gonna be like and how it's gonna be different? Yeah, so I think, um one of the big things that I like to start off by telling families is that the first visit usually is longer. Um, we have a lot of questions. We go into depth. I want to know about your family history. I want to know how school is going. I want to know what you're doing outside of school. I want to know what you're eating. I want to know all of it because that helps me to say, okay, what are things that are going well and what are things that aren't going well? And then I also tell families, especially if you are shifting and you're going to a new dedicated place, like to know that that first visit is really hard. So as you mentioned, they're new people and it's an, sometimes even a new space um, physically. But not only that, a lot of times at that first visit, <clears throat> you're revisiting all of the different um, things that you haven't heard and you haven't had to think about since the very beginning of treatment. And so you're going back, you're hearing the names of all of those medicines that you haven't had to think about for a while. You're remembering what somebody may have mentioned years ago as things that could happen in the future. And I think that's really scary. Um, it's really scary to hear again and what I tell families, you know, sometimes if you're looking at a piece of paper that has all the possible things that could happen, it can be overwhelming. But to know, it's kind of like those commercials on TV when they go on and on and on about things that could happen. And my husband's like, what? What is that? And I'm like, that's Tylenol. Like, it's fine. Um, <laughs> so I like to say, you know, there are some things I do want you to worry about, but there are a lot of things I want to be in the very back of your mind. They come up if something were to happen, but I don't want it to be things that you're worried about. I remember I'd forgotten until you said that, but it was the packet that I had signed off on five years earlier. But this time, instead of a little six-year-old that wasn't paying attention, I had a 13-year-old. And it it was, honestly, it was really hard to go through page by page because once I signed that packet, I never looked at it again. And we just went through and, you know, we were walked through, this is this month, this is this month. So five years later to sit there and it hits you really hard, like, oh my, this is all that he had. And usually it's the stuff from the first for 
for us, it was the stuff from the first six months that I'd forgotten and, you know, you'd only had it a few times or, but it's the stuff that causes the problems later and to have him sitting there. And I was kind of half hoping he wasn't listening to be honest, which 13 year old boys, you got a good, good chance of that. But thinking, oh my gosh, he's hearing all of this now for him the first time, because we didn't read it to him when he was six and I'm having to reread it. And it was really, really hard. And I had walked in thinking Survivor Clinic was going to be a little bit more like balloons and confetti cannons because we are, we achieved, like, to me, it was an achievement, like we're, yeah. which it was, and it is. But that part was really, really hard, and I wasn't prepared for it. So I'm glad that we're talking about that. So what? talk more about that then. Like, what, what should a parent be prepared for beyond just the education uh, and, and hearing about that? Uh, but, like, how? How, what are what should they be expecting and um, you know at what point does the conversation shift from having the conversation with the parent to more of the child or does that happen on day one so I think it really depends on the age so you know some of our patients will come into clinic for the first time at three four five years old still right and um, while they're there and they may be listening for the most part, you know, they're playing, they're coloring. Um, and we're really addressing things with the parents. And for others, the first time they come to clinic, they're 18, 19, 20 years old. And I think it's really important, you know, once kids are old enough, I mean, sometimes even our 10 and, you know, eight, nine, 10 year olds are really listening, Mm -hmm. um, to make sure that we're addressing things that, to them as well, um, or answering their questions. Because I think one thing that's hard um, and that I've heard from a lot of parents, especially parents of kids who are more, you know, the five, six, seven-year-old range when they're first diagnosed and now they're coming in and they're, you know, early teenagers, you know, some families really want to kind of protect their kids by not talking about it, but they're kids are always, no matter the age, really smart. They know um, more than I think anyone gives them credit for. And so a lot of times they actually have more fears about what people aren't telling them. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it is important to kind of make sure that the piece that we give um, is understandable to them, but not scary. And I think there's also a concern that people have sometimes that, it's going to be too much for my child. And that's scary. And I don't want people to think that for the most part, we're overwhelming small kids or even young teenagers with a lot of information. It's kind of graduated how much we give to the kids versus the adults. Um, And I think, you know, what to expect and what to prepare for, um, kind of what Christy mentioned, it's to know that it's going to bring up things that you haven't thought about since the very beginning. And, you know, it's not super uncommon that I have tears because all of a sudden we're going back to being in that chair when they first told you the worst news that you've ever had. Um, And what I tell families is just know that that's normal. Those feelings are okay. Mm. And we're used to that and we're here to help through those um, because almost every survivor team has those resources um, to help because the journey, as I've already said, it's not just the physical um, effects. We know 
that there's a lot of like hard times and that this is hard and that we have like, you know, in our team in particular, we have a psychologist who meets with everyone now at that first visit because we know it's just a harder visit for people. Yeah, absolutely. Christy, you and, and Carter, not just you, obviously, you and Eric, but um, Eric's not here. So right, so me. <laughs> you and Carter, um, you guys entered into this when Carter was probably, what, around 11 or 12? He was 13. 13. We finished treatment at 11, so around 13-ish. Yeah. yeah. So how, how was that? Was Were things more um, – You were was it more for you or more for him or both? Well, I mean – I was used to our hospital, and we've talked about this before, being very, you know, they always include the the patient, always the child, like, how do you want to take their medicine today and all of that stuff. So I was used to that, but I, and you guys do such a great job because I, it's, it's me, not you. It's all me. It's not you because they do start, I mean, Carter was 13, Mm -hmm. so it was definitely addressed more to him and then I've you know he's now 19 so every time and this last year was the first time I got sent into the hallway for a brief time for a private conversation and I had my little binder that I still bring I don't know why because we don't need it but I bring it and I'm in the chair in the hallway and I'm like okay this is a first because I've never not been in the room Mm. for anything not a blood draw not a nothing but you do a very good job and he's super comfortable with it which helps me but it is really hard that first time because I'm in the corner kind of raising my hand like, oh, I know the answer. And, you know, he didn't know <laughs> he didn't his first visit. The other thing they do that's super fun is they quiz them on like, uh-huh. hey, so do you know what you had? And he got that one. Yeah. I had leukemia. Great. And then it kind of went downhill from there. I wasn't. He, <laughs> they start asking about medications and he's just spitting out names. And I'm like, dude, you got like 20 percent of those. Right. That's not. <laughs> but they they explain it to them in such a great way that they need to know. And they. Mm-hmm. I love how you address it to the parents because it's emotional. The emotional part is having to have him hear the side effects because we hadn't discussed a lot of those. He'd gotten through treatment really well. And so you wonder on the car ride home if he's going to say something to you like, did you have any part of this or whatever, which has never been the case. But it's also the whole idea of him taking charge of his own health care. He is in college now. And so he has let, you know, he's I'm still his mom, but like he knows what he had and what he has to say when he goes to the doctor and he's prepared. And, you know, I noticed this last visit when he was 18, he was asking a lot more questions when you two were just having your own conversation. I could have left the room a lot earlier, but it was really cool for me to see that he was thinking about things like working out and weightlifting and all the stuff. And he was very intent listening to you. And he's quoted you a couple times, like I can do this, but I need to watch for this. And because it's more, it's a lifestyle thing too. It's not just looking for something bad to happen. It's a whole lifestyle on how to stay healthy. But it is very emotional for a mom that's been the person to watch your kid be the person and have to listen to things that you kind of wished they wouldn't have to know about. Yeah. But that's exactly where you want him to be, right? Yes. At 19, is yes. taking ownership of his health and asking the doctor those questions because now he's thinking about his future and how all this comes to play. And it's a hundred percent because of them, because yeah. I would never have, I would never, I would have just kept going being, being his mom and answering the questions. So yeah. I think it's education for the parents too to learn how to, okay. So, you know, it's great that I know all the medications he took, but I don't, I'm not the one that really a hundred percent needs to know that anymore. It's great in the back of my mind, but he needs to know what he took. So. And I will say you are not the only parent because almost every 
mom has to either bite their lip or yeah. put a piece of paper over their face because they want to answer the questions when they see their kids like struggling. They're like, well, how did you not know that answer? And I'm like, but that's the whole point. Like if you're in a safe space, it's good if you don't, I know the answers, but what if you're in with a physician who's never met you before? They don't know the answers. So whatever you give them, they're going to take as truth. Um, so it is hard. And we know that. I appreciate it. <laughs> he does a great job though now. And he still gets some answers wrong, but by and large, I think he's figured it out. But we're, we, are, we are getting to the end of that off-treatment clinic journey and I can't even talk about that because then that's a whole nother we're not going to go there then, no right we're not no nope. let's not go there nope let's talk about what happens in in clinic because um you, you mentioned some kind of test earlier right that he, he did oh, you got yeah. some tests oh he tested it's, on medications it's more like just a rundown to see like how much does he really know and he yeah. knew he took a bunch of pills mm-hmm. and he even caught some categories right he just wasn't super clear on and shapes and colors he was great at it was a little pink pill and it was this shape i'm like that's not what they and again i was in the corner going "Ooh, pick me i know but i i didn't get picked yeah no what are some other tests what are some other typical tests that are happening in in yeah. uh, in clinic so I wouldn't even consider that a test. And I do tell patients that <laughs> you don't get a grade. No one fails. Like, do not worry about that. Um, but, you know, as I said, we, you know, our clinic is a little different than, and every clinic is different. Um, but we have, um, you know, a general visit, checking in. But again, checking in, not just on, you know, this is what your counts look like, or this is what your scan is today. But talking about things Christy mentioned, you know, your lifestyle, are you doing things that are healthy? And then there's this whole document um, that's used pretty much throughout the United States and Canada. And there's different documents in different parts of the world, um, but they have guidelines that we follow based on your treatment. And so it says, you know, if you got this medication, These are the things that we need to monitor for. And so based on that, then we also will do blood work. And so some people get blood work at every visit. Some people get blood work only occasionally, um, which is another thing that's very hard to transition from when you're used to getting blood work at every visit and having all those results. Um, But then sometimes there's other testing. So some medications can impact the heart. And so for that, then we need to do special tests like echocardiograms, which are ultrasounds of the heart. And depending on how much medicine you got, depends on how frequently you get that. Some people need hearing evaluations or tests of their bones or tests of their lungs. And so that's one of the things that we do in our clinic is really coordinate all of that to make sure that we are getting everything you need at the age you need it, at the timing you need it, um, to make sure that, again, we're screening for things that we know you might be at risk for so we can catch anything before it becomes a problem. Yeah. Have you seen any um, just statistically key indicators that tend to lead to greater success after care for, for kids? I think um, one of the big things is engagement um, and making sure that you have screening. So we do know that, again, I can't say it enough, early detection um, is huge um, So in preventative things. So, you know, when I talk to people who've been exposed to anything that can impact their heart, 
we always talk about, you know, the, the heart monitoring and how often you get it. But then part of what I like to do, as you can tell, is I like to quiz people. I'm like, okay, what do you think? What do you think you can do to protect your heart? And it sounds like so cliche, but there are, there is data. There are studies that have shown that the more exercise people get, the more protection they have, not just, you know, the general protection that the, the whole public gets, but really protection in this population that have received this medication. And so I think there are things like that, that we um, know if we can get people to start eating better, if we can get people to exercise, to do this like stress reduction, those things, um, even though it's important for all of us, it's really important for our survivors. Even more important. Yeah. That's what I was wondering. And that's, I think that's great. That It's even more important. And so, um, yeah, that's really good. Do you have trouble? I mean, for us, we make our appointments and we love to go, but do you have trouble? Do people not want to do survivor clinic even when it's offered? And how do you convince them that this is a really important tool and it's a gift to have it? Yeah. I think that, um, it's really interesting. You know, there are there are different types of people and some people hit the end of their um, treatment journey and they're done. They don't want anything to do with coming back to the hospital or for some people, the anxiety is so bad that they just don't, they're so afraid of what might be found that they don't want to look. And I think, you know, all we can do is inform people. Um, and the big thing, again, that I like to stress is if we look and we find something, we can do it before it becomes a problem. Um, and that is always our key and our goal. Um, and to give people resources, you know, knowing that there's still somebody there. And so what I find interesting, you know, at my current institution, we um, are a children's hospital and we transition our patients when they become like after their 20th birthday, before they turn 21 is usually when we transition them. Not everywhere is like that. Some places continue to see patients until they stop coming. Um, And my previous institution was like that. And I will tell you that there's a large group of people who are in their like twenties to thirties who have been fallen off, you know, stopped coming, didn't want survivor care anymore. And then they come back and they either come back because something was found or they're thinking about building their families or, you know, something has come up and they moved from this. I'm an invincible teenager phase to I really need to take care of my body and what do I need to do to, to do that? Um, And so I think what we try to do um, is really engage our patients while we have them and show them why it's so important so that we don't lose them um, when they become teenagers or young adults and, you know, health is not the top of everybody's radar at that point. How do you do that? Like, what are some examples of how you, how do you engage that teenager uh, so that, so that they are paying attention, they are asking the questions, they are thinking about the future? What are the things that you guys do to help that? I think um, things that we've already kind of talked about, but really addressing things with the teenager themselves, Um, not ignoring the parents if the parent (laughs) is in the room, but 
making sure the parent knows like, yes, you had been the focus, but you aren't the focus now. Um, and also seeing what they are interested in. You know, I am not going to tell somebody who loves to play video games and that's all they want to do with their life that they should become a marathon runner. Like that's not going to work. So how can we do some goal setting? How can we um, engage with, you know, this is what you like. So how do we add a couple of little things in um, to make it, to make it a little bit more healthy? You know, we're, sometimes it's really taking baby steps to get to our final goal. No, that's, I think that's helpful. I think those things are helpful um, for parents, maybe parents that don't have the option of coming to a survivor clinic like you guys have. And, you know, what are some tips and tricks at home, you know, and, and I think, and a lot of it's, I think even general parenting, but yeah, keeping it interesting for them. What are they interested? I think those are great, great tips. So if you're listening and you don't have a clinic like this, and that's not something that you have direct access to, what can parents do? I think the biggest thing is, is having the education and just knowing what kind of resources people are screening um, the survivor themselves needs. And so there's actually a lot of free resources that are available online um, that have great information for survivors and to talk about survivor care. So the Children's Oncology Group, which is the kind of big organization in North America um, that a lot of people use for their treatment protocols, um, they actually form guidelines for what we need to monitor for that are easily accessible, freely accessible on the internet. And on that website, there are things called health links that you can click on and it, they're written for families to really go through, you know, this is what puts me at risk for having problems with my teeth. And this is what I need to know about it. This is what puts me at risk for the heart. Um, there's also a very big, very long PDF that goes through every nitty gritty medication that somebody has received um, and what screening is needed. And that's a good resource um, to give to a physician to look through um, because it is really, really dense. And I always tell people your find feature on your PDF is your best friend for that because it is <laughs> so dense for, for that. Um, there are other websites, you know, um, one that was developed um, at my institution called cancersurvivorlink.org. Um, is a great resource that has good educational materials for families. Um, but I think one of the best resources, even for places that don't have a dedicated survivor clinic, is to talk to your oncologist and see what other resources are in your area. And it may be that there's not a survivor clinic at your institution, but there's a survivor clinic at an institution that's two hours away um, and if you're only going once a year, sometimes it's worth that trip over to have that dedicated care. Dr. Effinger, you can tell that you have a passion for this and, uh, and even more beyond that, that you can see and hear the care 
that you have for these kids and for their parents. And uh, so it shows. And uh, I know that there are probably many uh, that have benefited, like Christy mm-hmm. uh, and Carter, that would uh, would probably 100% agree with that. So thank you for sharing with us today your passion and your knowledge and your insight uh, on Survivor Clinic. I know this is going to be really helpful for a lot of our families. So thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. For all of you that are listening today, we are so grateful for you. And we do hope that today was helpful to you, no matter where you are in your treatment. If you'd like more information about Lighthouse and how we serve families that are going through childhood cancer, be sure to visit our website at lighthousefamilyretreat.org.org, and we will see you guys later on the next episode.